0: From The Ringer, I'm Tyler R. Times. When I spoke to NFL star Cam Newton in January, his mindset was clear. I want my whole career to be in Charlotte. Cam won't be getting that wish. He was released by the Carolina Panthers in March. Cam is a complex figure, and my interest in him goes far beyond his exuberant smile and transcendent style of play. Cam broke the glass ceiling in American Athletics ascending to a place in the sport that few black quarterbacks have ever reached, making his fall that much more dramatic. Over the past year, I've traveled the country speaking to coaches and teammates, friends and family, reporters, and even briefly to the man himself, trying to unravel the enigma that is Cam Newton. I uncover contradictions at every turn. How can the hardest worker on the team be depicted as a bad leader? And how can a franchise icon with the NFL MVP and Super Bowl appearance on his resume, be so abruptly cast aside. The Ringer NFL Show presents The Cam Chronicles. The series premieres Monday, July 13th.
1: Jimmy McNulty, when he ain't policing. He's a picture postcard of a drunken, self-destructive fucker. And when he is policing... It's pretty much the same motherfucker, but on a good case. That's as close as the man comes to being right. you gonna see me in your sleep. Yeah, I know. I yeah. know. They got every swinging dick with a shield on that detail but me. Takes a whore to catch a whore. Jealous bitch. We're <laughs> <laughs> gonna be registered as Fuzzy Dunlop, a street name. Fuzzy Dunlop. Fuzzy Dunlop. It's a new generation with the names. And your if husband, you? die or something what about with you and your wife what happened she died
2: (laughs) (laughs) so van with uh season two episode eight duck and cover my major takeaway from this episode is damn a lack of self-worth can be dangerous Mm -hmm. (laughs) it can it can really be dangerous uh McNulty, I think, is the the biggest glowing example of that. But uh, it can, even with your boy Ziggy, your favorite character, (sighs) like that, (laughs) that like not feeling like you're worthy of something can truly cause you to make some absolutely boneheaded decisions.
3: Yeah. Um, For me, that's it's really kind of along the same lines. Uh, I I, kind of, I have hide and seek written down. The reason why I have that written is because a lot of this episode is about who you're hiding from and how you want them to see you. Uh, this was an episode where I f- finally saw a real connection between the Sabaccas, between Frank and Ziggy. Ziggy's relationship with Nikki Sabaka is almost entirely uh, identical to Frank's relationship with his older brother. Frank Sabaka is the king of the ports. He's the big deal on the ports. He is the big guy on the ports. Everybody comes to him for everything. One reason why he's built this thing up for himself is because there is a disapproving older brother that he is continuously trying to prove himself in front of. So, When we all looked at Ziggy Sabaka and said he's nothing like his father, he's completely different from his father, it turns out that that's not true. He is a lot like his father. He is trying to prove himself to his father and to his cousin and to a lot of other people, and we see that Frank has that in him. It completely changes the dynamic. doesn't change any of how I feel about Ziggy that is etched in infinity, okay? But it
2: does it sounds like you're getting soft, man. I, it sounds like you're getting I'm soft. I'm not
3: going soft on Ziggy. It does change a little bit to me uh, the way I view their family dynamic because I see Frank in that scene, and we'll talk about that scene later. Reaching out to an older brother who completely rejects not only Frank Zabacka's lifestyle, but the compromises that he has that that he's made in his uh, integrity and his character in order to facilitate that lifestyle. It's a very, very pivotal scene. Also, you see some other things. You see, um, Jimmy, the parts of Jimmy McNulty that he was hiding from his self, what he was trying to uh, present to Elena, they all come rearing back, rearing their ugly head. The alcoholism, the recklessness, uh, the 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 body count, the use of women as a coping mechanism—all of those things come back. The parts of even Jimmy, even the part of Jimmy. Uh, needing to release himself and get back into real policing this is the 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 episode where jimmy gets back with major crimes this is the real jimmy mcnulty who if he doesn't have anything else he becomes completely self-destructive um so yeah yeah
2: and that 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 is i would say mcnulty this version of mcnulty is probably you know the character that deserves um a little more exp- uh, exploration mm. if you will because he there's a lot there for a, a deep dive so I'm glad you you touched on on that early um and my back for interrupting who else were you what else or oh, no, no, no. some that, of that, your takeaways that's
3: pretty much it i just saw this episode as a, an episode where we we kind of got i mean obviously there's some other things that happen inside of duck and cover that are really noteworthy number 1 we also start to learn that Sabaka isn't the Palooka
4: that we think he is Check that can through straight up. You got it? Enter it on the computer just like any other. And the next can after it, make that one disappear. You want me to lose a clean can? And give it to the Russian, yeah. You gonna tell them? If I'm going nuts, I'll calm down tomorrow. And we'll slip the hot can off the pier. If I'm right about this, they'll thank me.
3: He starts to notice patterns in the police's uh, investigation into him. Certain red flags are starting to stick out. Um, and he is reacting to that. He's changing up a little bit, almost a little Barksdale-esque in the way he's reacting to the police. And also, of course, starting to kind of break down the prostitution ring that's going on in Baltimore and all of those things are all very important to pushing the plot forward uh, and the Greek sort of revealing himself. But yeah, a, a lot of this has to do with the interpersonal relationships. Who's trying to prove what to who is a the big theme in this episode. Uh,
2: so what was that word you just used? Was it palaka? Paluka. Palooka, a big sorry. Palooka. What is what is a palooka?
3: I guess a palooka is like, and I'll I'll, I'll now go to Urban Dictionary for it. It's something that I heard <laughs> in some of these other movies. A palooka is like a like a like a like a big lug, you know, or like a like okay. somebody slow, somebody right now um paluca. Say like palooka, a paluca meaning. Okay, here it is, right here. A stupid, clumsy, or uncouth person what palooka. okay there you go all right or i
2: learned a new word
3: right oh oh. and by the way i want to say something b- before and like we can come back to this later on in the podcast but I would like everyone listening to way down in the hole to know that i had the utz crab chips
2: yes oh did you and and van
3: i'm gonna give my full review of the Uts okay. crab chips at the end of this podcast. Okay. Wire business first, okay. crab chips okay. after. Okay.
2: That is that is what we call in this business a tease. That's a hell of a tease, <laughs> man. Hell of a tease. I'm super excited about this now. All right. Uh well, let's get to getting then. Um, brief a little recap. Van mentioned some of the details that uh happened in this uh particular episode. McNulty, big the big thing, he's finally out of purgatory. Mm. Daniels rescues him from Rawls's dungeon, a.k.a. Uh, being on the boat where he least wanted to be. Um, Daniels is able to boss up on Rawls and say, you said anything. Well, this qualifies as anything if I'm going to take these 14 murders that you have been unable to solve. Um, the Barksdale's continuing to struggle without valuable product and or muscle. And uh, as Van said a second ago, Frank Sabaka, I think to this point, had basically been characterized as just kind of a cog in this machine. Smart in his own ways, but not the sort that you would feel like would be any kind of intellectual foe against the detail. I mean, if we look at the uh, sort of the progression from season one, it, you know, the Barksdale's were a very deliberate, thorough and very organized crime organization the ports are not the Barksdale's they're not nearly as organized although they have their own strengths that certainly um that the Barksdale's lacked and so up until this point although I, I mean the outcome isn't quite the same it was starting to feel especially with this episode where the the detail puts everything together like they're building a 28 to 3 lead <laughs> basically <laughs> it felt like the cops were doing that like okay like these you know even Herc said it right was it the, the last episode he made the observation like man he throughout the season he like this is too damn easy because yeah. they talk about drugs openly they there's not a whole lot of covert James Bond like activity mm. they're just able to figure this shit out because the, the 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 white element of drug dealing that's been established here in the wire is basically hiding behind their skin privilege, which is they're like, we white? Ain't nobody going to suspect us of being out here moving this weight, so we just do what we do. Mm -hmm. So at any rate, this is the episode where Frank, you see him starting to put the clues together, and he realizes he's being watched. His phone has been flagged, uh, and he tries to turn the police uh, on their access a little bit by using a clay can to bake them, to figure out that he needed to switch things up, he and the Greeks. So it, it's a nice little game of cat and mouse between him versus the detail. All right. Which leads us to the leader sort of theoretically, the, the face of the detail, which if again, if you think about it, really bold choice of David Simon. I mean, he's got McNulty position as kind of the star of this series in many respects He's barely been in season two up until this point. Like bits and pieces, you know a little bit about how Jimmy is living his life and he's trying to get back with Elena and all these little details you find out snippet by snippet. This episode is where we get full-on, full-on McNulty. And not just any McNulty. We get self-destructive McNulty to the 100th power from the start of the episode pretty much up until... Daniels actually uh, rescues him.
1: But the thing of it is, Jimmy's dying inside. He's a train wreck unless he catches a real case. But good police. Always. The thing of it is, Lieutenant, that is, Jimmy McNulty, When he ain't policing. He's a picture postcard of a drunken, self-destructive fucker. And when he is policing, it's pretty much the same motherfucker, but on a good case. I mean, running in front of the pack. That's as close as the man comes to being right. Go back to Rawls.
3: It's interesting. It's almost a Jimmy that we, we haven't seen. And I'll have to go back and, and, and rewatch uh, again season one, which is a pleasure. Uh, don't mind if I do. Uh, this is a full circle sort of self-destructive McNulty. There's only one saving grace in this episode and it happens towards the end for full-on self-destructive McNulty. But when we see him, he is in a full bender, right? Uh, Elena has decided that she is not going to remix their relationship. Uh, Jimmy thought he was there. He wasn't there, fellas. We all been there, okay? Um, And you see just what the job offers for McNulty. Um, A lot of times when we talk about addicts, or when we talk about people who are trying to move away from self-destructive behaviors, one thing that they have or that they need, should I say, is structure. They always need structure. They always need something to structure out their lives. That's why a job or um, or, or a facility sometimes is so important for someone who is uh, dealing with an addiction, because just a structure uh, makes them sort of a little bit more likely to do the things that are right for them. Like we see a lot of times with, I mean, to be honest with you, you know the world of sports and who knows it better than Jamel, like athletes. A lot of times we see athletes get in trouble. When? A lot of times during the off season because during, right. the, during the off season, that's when they don't have to check in. That's when they, there are no ma- uh, no no offensive meetings. Sorry to single out the NFL, but there's that's when there, there, there are no meetings. There's no practices. There's no Curfews. There's no times they have to do anything, and you have a lot of free time, a lot of money. You're bound to make some bad decisions. McNulty is completely without structure now. Even his pursuit of Elena was providing some structure for him. It was something that he was having to plan out. It was something that he was having to put his mind and his energy into. But the moment that you have a depressed feeling about his, his life situation and a McNulty that is not working a case, that is not part of anything, that has nothing to give all of that energy to, you see him do all the things that classic McNulty uh, does. We see him on a really dangerous and insane bender behind the wheel of a car. And it's interesting in that scene that Gus, the bartender, knows that McNulty has a propensity to drive drunk um, and asks him, yo, you're not going to be driving, right? I, he doesn't want to contribute to the self-destructive behavior because he knows it. We see McNulty do that. And of course, another thing about The Wire is women cannot resist Jimmy McNulty. Uh, he is...
2: Even in his most drunken state, which is amazing to me. Can we uh, Can we just
3: analyze that little part? Jimmy is drunk, bleeding, and completely sweaty and disheveled. And this woman... Who has a great body, by the way? We should say that this woman <laughs> she has a fantastic body. I I, I try to find her on uh, IMDb to see if she had done some other stuff. Um, oh, I, I bet you did, man. All <laughs> right, right. Um, this woman uh, just looks at him and cannot stop herself from having sex with him. He's like, he's just asking for food. He's not even trying to get it. Can 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 I have some? What else you got? She's you can have anything you want. The next thing you know, they're having sex. But it's it's also interesting that. In this self destructive uh, mode that he's in, he's on such a bender and he's so far out there that he elicits concern from his fellow officers. He inspires their concern. They know how bad that this can get. And this kind of shows the other side to a lot of the characters in The Wire and, and that loss of structure. As much as The Wire is about criticizing systems, and criticizing institutions. It's also about sometimes how those institutions give otherwise purposeless people purpose. It gives them something. I think about Payton Full when and Jay-Z raps about this in Allure as well. When Ace is talking to Mitch, Ace is like, yo, I'm out. I, I've been shot. Like my like I don't feel right anymore. I'm out, right? I don't want to do this. My no body more. different. My body different. <laughs> I move different, you know the whole deal. What does Mitch say back to him? Mitch says back to him, "Yo, I can never leave this. I can't leave this. Like when I hit the streets, people know my name. When I when I do this, everywhere I go, I get love. I feel like a ball player. It makes me feel ten feet tall. Like, remember, there are more addicts in these games than just the drug dealers. Excuse me, Although than you, just you, the drug you, users.
2: You, you, you can't. Uh, you'd be remiss mentioning that scene without mentioning how." Unexceptionally an, an asshole, Cameron. Isn't that? Hey. What he you? What he with that? Niggas get shot every Niggas day. Niggas get b. shot every day.
3: B <laughs> a a here, and he puts the blanket on him Put so condescendingly. You pull your skirt up, b. Niggas get shot every day. Pull your skirt up, and then he puts the blanket on him here. There you go. So it's like blah blah blah, just chill out. But what I'm saying is, like the the drug dealers aren't the only addicts. That lifestyle is addict. For a lot of police officers, that job is addicting. All of these things are things that people have to have or else they fall the fuck apart. And that's what we're seeing from Jimmy McNulty right now. He does not have the structure. He does not have the exhilaration of chasing down a good case. He doesn't believe in himself unless he's either married or chasing a case. He's trying to find himself and he doesn't know who he is.
2: Yeah. I think what was, it was obvious that McNulty uses the job to define him. Um, or he finds definition and not just purpose. It's one thing to find purpose in a job, as you mentioned. It's another thing to feel like the job defines you. Mm. And that's the line of which McNulty has crossed on a personal level. It's like this job defines who he is. Reflecting back to season one, when Kima gets shot and he goes into a vat of depression because of what's happened to his fellow officer. And he feels, he feels as if him... Pursuing this case, him wanting to be the smartest person in the room, him wanting to bring down the Barksdale's, all his personal ambitions led to her nearly dying. And it doesn't sit right with him, and especially because he knows that these were mostly selfish motivations. It would have been one thing if he were motivated by the fact that he wanted to see justice done. He wanted the Baltimore streets clean. That's not what he wanted. He wanted to look good, and he wanted to, frankly, rub the Barksdale's face in you know, his pursuit of justice, uh, if you will. And so with this, I mean, seeing those signs early on and without him having that structure, with with him um, feeding and feeling this rejection as much as he has, it leads to the self-destructive behavior. Now, I wondered watching it is like, let's say Elena says yes. Let's say she said, you know what, Jimmy, let's do, let's run this back. All right, let's do this again. I still think he leads to being in the same place. You know, because maybe it's not as bad. Maybe he's not sleeping with the diner waitress. Maybe, though we don't know for certain, given what his track record is. But it's so obviously clear that the only thing that gives him any sense of satisfaction and fulfillment is this job. And I don't know if it's a matter of it could be a combination of things. It could be the ego part of it, which is a significant part. It could also be him feeling like he's needed because there are certainly a lot of people who need to feel that but there's something that this job gives him that nothing else can. And the scene that he has with Bunk where McNulty, you do not see him get emotional in this series, right? Once is with Kima. And I think this is really the other time. Like he doesn't really get all that emotional despite all the things that he's done and seen and witnessed. He tends, but he is on the verge of breaking down into tears when he talks about feeling unwanted and how everybody else is a part of this big case but him. It hurts. Like hurts in a way that you would feel as if McNulty had lost a significant other. Like, I think he took not being involved with this case harder than he took his divorce. Mm. I, I don't think there's any question.
3: Uh, like, interesting. I, I think that there was this, it's a double whammy of not having the family. I think Jimmy's a narcissist, and in pure narcissist fashion, he needs other people. To reinforce his beliefs about himself, narcissists have this when you and I know a little bit about narcissism. When you <laughs> like, like, when you are a narcissist, um, you use manipulation, you use all these different things because you need people to reinforce, uh, the belief or sometimes the insecurities that you have about yourself. Uh, Elena refused to do that, uh, she refused to remember Jimmy took on. Think of the losses that have been mounting up over this season, right? He took on the case to find uh, the dead girl, to find her identity. He couldn't do it. Wasn't a good enough detective, or p- perhaps he took on an impossible job. He was looking for something to give him some meaning there. Didn't happen. Uh, he, he's looking for meaning um, trying to get his family back, trying to get back to his wife and his children. Didn't happen. The only thing left that could provide him centella of that same feeling is the case and he had long made peace seemingly with the fact that he was going to be on the outside looking in with that now that's all he's got and it's something that everyone is a part of besides him the whole the old band is completely back together missing the old lead singer It's journey with that new guy singing you know And he wants to be back on the stage. And not only does he want to be back on the stage, he needs to be back on the stage because if he's not back on the stage, he has no worth and use as a human being. No family, no case, no no figuring out the dead girl, no nothing. You know the only thing that Jimmy McNulty is not doing? His duty. His duty is to be a cop working on the boat. That is his duty. That is what he is supposed to be doing. He's supposed to be helping out the guy on the boat to to do whatever it is that they do whether it's towing boats, figuring out stuff, that's the only deal. We have continuously throughout the course of this season seen Jimmy McNulty shirk his duty, leave that post early to go do some other shit that he is really not supposed to be doing. The one thing he's not doing is exactly what he is as a police officer supposed to be doing, which is working the port as a boat cop or working the sea or the river or whatever it is. So he's on the boat, the Marine unit, the Marine said unit, the sea. Is, the sea, excuse me. Yeah, he's that's the only thing he's not doing is what he's supposed to be doing. So even in that in his narcissism, somebody loses because that guy now doesn't really have a partner, his, his, his immediate uh, superior um, on the boat. So, you know, Jimmy is always Jimmy first. And even when he's at his bottom, it's still Jimmy first.
2: Yeah. And that, that's what makes him a particularly um, compelling brand of narcissist. It, it, it's funny you made that comparison uh, to the singing group comparison, because as you were talking, I was thinking, is Jimmy McNulty Eddie Kang? Is he Eddie Kang? Is that who he is? Because I think he kind of is Eddie Kang, you know? Because Nights like this, I wish. Which, Ooh, right. Eesh. I mean, he's a little bit like that. I mean, you know, his I guess at, at times, I mean, as we see in here, like his his alcoholism or functional alcoholism, if, if, if you will, can be really destructive uh, physically, personally, and all those other things. But yet, he, much like Eddie, you know, it was the group that defined him. And when he didn't have the group, we see what happened. There's only you know? one difference,
3: he... I would say, between him and an Eddie Kane or a David Ruffin. There's only one difference. Mm. Eddie mm. Kane and David Ruffin were convinced, oh, man, I'm going to go watch both of those movies tonight. It, it's like, <laughs> so, I'm going to watch both of those movies tonight. Thank you so much, Jamel. I'm going to watch the <laughs> Five Heartbeats and the Temptations movie. Both of those guys were convinced, and I'll throw this question to you. Both of those guys were convinced that the groups that they left would not be competent or the same at all without them. That is very true. Do you think that yeah. Jimmy feels that way about the, the rest of the police?
2: No, I don't think. Well, it's weird because he's not nearly as big of an asshole um, <laughs> as as Eddie or David Ruffin were um, in, in these movies. But when he's on the detail, you know how he often said it a lot of times in the first season, especially that he said it as if it were a statement of fact that he was the smartest detective. Yeah. Like, I mean, he said it like a statement of fact. So even though he's not nearly as vocal as they are about it or as much of an asshole, because he has a lot of respect for Lester. He has a lot of respect for Kima and he doesn't denigrate them. He challenges them for sure. He makes their jobs harder at various points. And he definitely does that with with Daniels at a lot of points in this series um where he it gets extraordinarily self righteous mm-hmm. and um you know then that that leads to him creating a lot of enemies he may not do it the same way as the, the two uh infamous lead singers as we just mentioned but at the end of the day that's what he really thinks he really thinks that he is uniquely qualified and uniquely much more much smarter than any detective in the unit mm-hmm. he does yeah. and he will say it like a statement of fact despite the fact that i mean let's be honest is lester mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean it is lester is the smartest you know person and if we rank smart people on the show period uh, i mean he might he's not smarter than omar <laughs> so interesting I don't think he's smarter than Omar so let's, I don't let's, let's
3: give let's give let's both do a top five smart character ranking we okay. haven't done this we'll yet. save
2: it for the we can save it for our, our season two recap we can do a power ranking of smart people
3: of smart people of the season thus uh, of two seasons thus far
2: uh, thus far we'll do a power because
3: ranking because I'm trying to think right now would Jimmy make my top five I
2: think Ooh. he would so this is cops. That's a reluctant wood. That's a got reluctant a thing, wood. I a think
3: man. Cops and criminals. You got some real smart guys, man. Um uh, saying. Just I'm... up to season two. E- e- I got. I, I, I give you a question right now. It ain't easy. I give you a question right now for you to answer. Right now. Right now. We're not going to wait for season two for you to answer this question right now. <laughs> Who's smarter? Jimmy McNulty or Russell Stringer Bell?
2: Uh, I'm gonna say McNulty is, yes. and I, and that's no shade. That's no shade. I, honestly, is, this is coming from an un. Believe it or okay. not, you're gonna laugh. So no shade, you're right? Right?
3: No shade. This is that's like Skip Bayless saying Michael Jordan is better than LeBron. No shade to LeBron. Like, yeah, you like you. By the way, you your Stringer Bell's Skip Bayless. That's who you are. That's been established. You're his Skip Bayless. Stringer can't do anything you know, right. So you're here to skip Bayless. So tell me why. Why do you think McNulty is... Van, sn- you
2: are... Van, you're lucky I am trying to be a Christian today because I would <laughs> curse you out for putting me in the same sentence as Skip Bayless, okay? Would curse you smooth out if you were not somebody who I consider to be a friend. We are work partners. I'm telling you. You would have to sleep with one eye open, bro. One <laughs> eye open if we wasn't still in the middle of a pandemic oh. and as we're taping up this podcast, widespread civil unrest, okay? <laughs> <laughs> it would be going down. But th- th- what I said, no shade, is like I didn't want people to, to think that came from my hatred of Spr- Stringer Bell, who has, had, who has had smart moments. He has right. definitely had some smart moments, but, and Jimmy's had some dumb moments mm-hmm. by extension, right? But I would give the edge... I would give the edge to um, McNulty, but you know what? That's just right now. It, it, it's it's kind of interesting. Some things some things happen in season three, but mm-hmm. this might be a, a further discussion. Right? Um, okay. Y- you know for sure. Um, so see, I could be I could be fair I to to I could be fair to fuck boy Bell. I can do that. <laughs> All right. It's, it's, it's I'm capable.
4: So excited to introduce the Bukhari Sellers podcast in partnership with the Ringer. We're tackling the issues of the day through interviews with high-profile guests and conversations with a rotating panel of the country's best and leading thinkers, influencers, and writers. You know, I'm not only an attorney and a former elected official. Sometimes you see me on CNN, and I'm a new author of a New York Times best-selling book, My Vanishing Country. But now. We're introducing the Bukhari Sellers podcast, and we're going to cover everything from the 2020 election to sports and culture to the larger movement for racial equality in the United States. We're going to have some of your favorite quarterbacks, some of your favorite politicians, some of your favorite athletes, writers, singers, actors, actresses. The Bukhari Sellers podcast will debut on Monday, June 29th. Listen free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Let's talk about some of these best scenes that were a part of Duck and Cover. I know you mentioned one already that I thought was certainly on my list, and that was the scene between Frank and his brother.
4: Uh, yes, the uh,
2: scene between the Sabakas.
4: Hell, the only difference between me and you is you picked the wrong union. That ain't the only difference.
3: If you were in my position... I'm not. This kind of gives you a little background to who Frank Sabaka is. Uh, you think that Francis Sabak is a guy that's driven by, we've talked about this extensively on the podcast, driven by uh, his want and his need to continue the, uh, the lifestyle of the men that work with him in the union on the port, and that he is almost in a way uh, selfless in his criminality. That he is committing these crimes and doing these different things uh, for a re- reasons that are much bigger than him. And to be honest with you, Anytime you have that perception of somebody, it makes almost anything they do a little bit more understandable. You know what I mean? Uh, it, this scene between him and his brother and just to kind of set the scene, uh, Frank offers his brother almost kind of like a no-show job, like, but not really. It was, it's a a, a a position on a board that he would only have to go to a couple of times a month and he'd make a couple of hundred bucks for it. And his his older brother rejects this, says no. And what you start to see is that uh, Sabaka is the younger Sabaka, Frank Sabaka, is completely dedicated to mission accomplishment and um, sort of getting things done. The older Sabaka is dedicated to the purity of whatever's going on. He says, uh, I got to get mine straight or I don't want it at all. He says he's not noble, but he's right. Frank, in a way, has always been trying to live up to that standard. You can see in this scene that he's never really been able to. He's never been able to do enough to make that guy impressed because the only thing that's going to impress that guy is being completely on the side of right, completely clean and a straight arrow. And that's something that Frank Sabaka doesn't think that he can do and provide for his union and port workers at the same time. So he is in a no-win situation. He is chasing a ghost that he can never catch up to. I think that's very interesting to see for him. And it changes his character a little bit, in my opinion.
2: Well, it's also I also couldn't help but observe that Frank Frank Sabaka once again seemed to exhibit more compassion and more understanding for people not named Ziggy Sabaka.
3: Mm.
2: <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because like his, his son is wouldn't it may have made more sense if he offered that job to his son who is not really good at what he does who if anybody needs a cushy job where they show up and don't do anything it's Ziggy Sabaka right. you know more so than his brother and so um this was one of those unexpected discoveries i had since we brought up uh, since i brought up ziggy in this series or in this particular um in this rewatch of this season i had a lot more sympathy for ziggy sabaka than i did the first time around. I had no sympathy for him the first time around. But this time, seeing little nuances and, and understanding the dynamics more, paying attention to them more, observing them more, um, I think that's also a benefit of when you've seen something before is that then you start to look deeper at the nuances at other things you may have missed just because you already know where the plot is going. So you, you're not as obsessed with the pace and, the, and where the plot is moving because you already know. Then you start looking at these characters and my second look at Ziggy... I'll be honest like I I, while I am irritated by his stupidity I'm less irritated and I find myself with more compassion than irritation this time around Mm. um it gets gets back to that like I I mean I, I laughed pretty hard the first time when I saw Ziggy's confrontation with Maui which is in this episode where you know he leaves him stranded on top of one of the containers and Ziggy having been Convinced by his fellow doc workers to take on somebody who's twice his size, a lot stronger and frankly a lot meaner um uh, he confronts him, winds up being humiliated from everybody in front of everybody, and the only thing he could yell is bad advice and it just kind of suck in just how m- misguided and or rather the lack of guidance that he's always had and the lack of direction and how he has that's why I said at the beginning of the podcast how uh uh, worthlessness can be very dangerous Mm. and right now ziggy is feeling very worthless because his colleagues don't respect him his father doesn't respect him he feels like his cousin is just basically pacifying him by giving him this money that they're making from this drug trade that he's not even really involved in because he was too incompetent to actually run it so there is no place in ziggy's life where he is anything other than a joke and the whole duck thing, you know, putting a diamond collar on the duck, is like he's sort of blowing this money um money that he clearly needs because he's upset at the fact that he doesn't feel as if he is worthy enough or smart enough to do anything, yeah, because nothing in his life plays to his skill set and he doesn't know how to do anything else, so it's just it's just really kind of a a shame to kind of. See, just him unraveling, because um, you know at this point, if you haven't seen The Wire, you might just be thinking Ziggy is comic relief. But there's far more dangerous things ahead, where you see how his self-destructive and worthless behavior um, really wind up being the undoing of a lot of things. Um, right. What were some uh, other scenes that you you kind of thought of? All
3: right, I'm gonna speak on Ziggy real quick. Everything that you just said about Ziggy is true. My problem with Ziggy, and it might it's a problem with me. So self-destructive behavior, for whatever reason, doesn't bother me until you rip everyone else down with you. Like, we see Bubbles engage in self-destructive ha- behavior, and obviously there's a specific type of uh, addiction, a uh, disease that Bubbles has. He's an addict. Ziggy's self-destructive, ha- he's a... A cyclone, a hurricane—he swirls around and brings everyone into this wave of destruction. A lot of the things that went on with Ziggy this season, this is the only thing I'll say about him, are people cleaning up messes that he made. Like right now, all Nikki's really asking him to do is spend money. And in the scene where Ziggy, which is the scene I have written down, where Ziggy takes the money and throws it out of the window, that scene is problematic for so many reasons. Number one, they're engaged in a criminal conspiracy. And you're throwing a wad of cash out of the window, just making things hot. You're going around doing things like, like you said, putting a, a a diamond collar on a duck. It's like Ziggy allows his feelings of smallness to impact everyone around him. And we haven't even gotten to that. Like you said, it's going to get much worse. So the scene in the car, I loved. By the way, this is a, a low Barksdale usage rate episode okay Barksdale's not really on their Westbrook right now they Kyle Corver in this episode they spotting up and they shooting a lot of Bodie though love that um so I love obviously uh I love when the like the, the Zabaka brothers I love sort of the, the 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 unveiling to Nikki and um and Frank of who the Greek is I think that's a good very powerful scene um uh, I also really enjoyed the scene where Bodhi rolls up and punks the guys that have taken over his uh his territory. I tell you why I love that scene so much. We're, I love watching characters grow. I love watching characters grow into exactly who they wanted to be. We see throughout this whole episode that Bodhi has a little bit of expertise now, and he's got some. He's got a little bit of. He's got, he's got some
2: moves. He knows yeah. he's he's he's, se- he's seasoned now. Right. Honestly, I mean he, he's seasoned. He's seasoned. Yeah.
3: He's taking care of things without running the stringer to answer every question. And the rest of the project the rest of the projects the people in the tower are following him. So it's interesting to see Bodie see the angles in the hood, scope him and then do what he had to do. I think uh obviously the Zeke duck, duck scene and of course the Benolty scene where he's drinking where we finally get a glimpse of how bad it gets when it gets bad for Jimmy. All of those things are really important. Those of some of the best things in this episode. What about you?
2: Well, I I should have counted, um, since you brought up McNulty, how many times has McNulty actually had sex sober in this whole series? It's sober McNulty sex? I, I don't, I'm like struggling one, to think of it. I got one. Okay.
3: When he had sex with Rhonda in the headquarters, uh, the in, in, when they were in the parking lot, I
0: yeah. I'm pretty sure he was sober,
3: sober then.
2: They were sober. Yeah. Yes. But very few times mm-hmm. does he, yeah, does he actually do that? Uh I do like the what they show from Bodie. They do show some initiative and some leadership. And frankly, this is the result of Stringer kind of taking him under his w- wing. Mm-hmm. It's like he's empowering Bodhi to make these decisions, empowering and using him, let's be honest, at the same time, because he realizes that he can manipulate Bodie's con- commitment to the game to do the things that he wants. Right. And so one of my favorite scenes is when they're at the tower and the young hoppers kind of come up to him and, or rather he tells them that he has to let them go and <laughs> ask for a separation package, which I was impressed with. Like, oh shit, they know about a separation package. Some of that
0: separation pay, all right? Oh, man, you better go on before I lose my composure out this bitch. There's
2: nothing better than when somebody drops a, a nice, a nice vocabulary Nice that's a word there. Look, like composure, and then mix it in with, of course, some um, uh, urban slang or uh, urban construction of of communication. I should say. Right. Uh, so that's a good scene. Um, Kima's line to McNulty about you need a whore to catch a whore. <laughs>
3: that's a great line.
2: <laughs> great line uh, in there, and I, I think another. And, and you know, this is this is what makes. McNulty's character so complex um and at times he's the perfect kind of character construction because he is somebody that brings out kind of all of your emotions there are times where you really like McNulty, and you as daniels put it to Rawls, you want him to be that dog on that bone mm-hmm. but there are other there are other times where he's irritating and self-destructive and you're just like i can't with this guy and then there's times when he has that self-awareness that he becomes somebody who is like all right I kind of fuck with him. Right. So when he was at Beatty's place and he's mm. he's noticing yeah. the bits and pieces of her life that she's she's a she's a single mother, she's got two kids. Like she just isn't somebody you could just fuck around with. You mm-hmm. can't do her like you did the diner waitress. Mm-hmm. And he understands this and so that's why he doesn't even finish his beer and he leaves. Yeah. Even though you could tell by the look on her face Biddy was definitely down. She like, look, yeah. I don't care about these kids, these toys. Like, I need a little maintenance right now. Mm-hmm. And so she
3: <laughs> maintenance, what? Is that what the kids are ma- calling it now? I need a little maintenance. Wait, we, 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 we get I love these Fathers under another moment into Jamel Hill's world. A little maintenance is what we're talking. <laughs> a little ma. a little a little maintenance, little okay? A little toe up okay. I'm not mad at it, okay.
2: All right, you know, a little oil change. It's like <laughs> you know, those ladies are not impervious to needing tune-ups and/or maintenance. There so, you go. even though you know she she was obviously um, you know ready and down, he was just like, I I know me, and Jimmy was like, I know I ain't shit. So let me just yep. gracefully take my ass home, like like and be like Rod Twell said
3: in Jerry Maguire, you can't shoplift the pooty. From a single mother, you can't. You can't you like. Cannot. Like, you don't shop, fellas. Listen out there, fellas, ladies, everyone, don't shoplift the booty from a single mother. They not. That's that's not. That's wrong, dog. And I and I that that that's one of the most not to go too crazy. That's one of those redeeming moments in Jimmy. And by the way, what I love about that scene is it wasn't one thing that made him not do it. He had to see five or six different clues. Because he was like, he had to see bills and then a, 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 a cookie jar with a cop on it and then pictures and then a ray gun. He, he was talking himself into it every time. Like he picked up the ray gun and was like, yeah, she got kids, but they sleep. He saw the bill. He's like I got
2: kids too. I got it kids too. It is. <laughs> it is what it is.
3: He saw the bill. He was like, "Yeah, but everybody got bills." You know what I'm saying? Right. You know what I'm saying? He saw the he saw the cookie jar and he was like, "Ah, so what? You got a crazy cookie jar." And then when he comes back in, he starts seeing the pictures. He's like, "God damn, I got to get out of here, man. This too much." He put his jacket
2: on, and then that was he's that. Like, I can't do this. I can't do this, man. Come on, dog. <laughs> he's like, "I know I'm grimy. I ain't that I ain't grimy." That so. Grimy. <laughs> um, so yeah So I think we Between the two of us um, We definitely covered All the best scenes uh, I thought it was some Pretty good File this away For laters um, To me Maybe the biggest one Was uh, Bodie's beef With the rival crew mm.
3: Okay hey, yo,
0: they coming They coming What the think They looking at Nigga you done lost Your motherfucking mind you standing on my real estate. Mine now. Took it while you was resting. Y'all too late. Look, I'm going to let you walk off right now. Or we could do it the other way. You got to do it the other way. Them? you going to see me in your sleep. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah.
4: That's right. Keep up, bitch.
0: They going to come back. Yeah, the way we just punked him,
3: you got to. I also have just the Ziggy throwing the money out of the car. Um, Ziggy at this point, we'd seen that Ziggy wanted to be respected more, but what we hadn't seen was the limits that he would go through. He takes it's probably what, four or five thousand dollars, something like that and throws it out of the car because Ziggy doesn't care about money. What he cares about is his perception, and he's willing to do anything for that, uh, no matter how reckless or dangerous it is. That was a huge father's away from uh, for, this away for later moment, in my opinion. Um, and also, the scene that we just talked about with Jimmy and Beattie. Uh, Jimmy and Beattie's entire thing is a massive, massive father's away for later moment. You're going to come back to that to the start of something. Um, And that's not the last time Jimmy is going to try to be something different for her.
1: And your husband, he, uh, none of my business, I know. What can I get you? Die or something? He left me, left us. What about with you and your wife? What happened?
3: She died. (laughs) <laughs> something about her that makes him want to be uh, as Jack Nicholson says in As Good As It Gets a better man Very so that's true. not the last time we're going to see that
2: another one and this is you, you know I didn't think about this until he said something you notice that I would say the the two people throughout the series of The Wire who make the most inappropriate references to their genitals are landsmen and Rawls. Yeah. And with Rawls, it's funnier because that's a big, every time he makes one, it's a big file that's away for later. Every time. Right? Every single time. And so in this one, he's like, yeah, to Daniels, and I could use three more inches of meat. Yeah. Really? Yeah. It's like, it's it's, it's so much going on with Rawls. Or almost. And Omar. he's always meant, uh, uh, exactly. <laughs> like, he, uh, you know
3: what? Follow away for later. You're so silly. Follow away for later. <laughs> Away away I'm not gonna say any way. follow it away for later. That's all I'm gonna say. Anytime
2: Rawls makes a sexually sexual innuendo or sexually explicit joke, it's a follow away for later. Every Anytime. time, and I'm like, every time it's like, ah, oh, this is this is so interesting. I would also, now that I think about it, I would put Frank's confrontation with his brother also as a follow this away for later. Interesting, just in the sense, just in the sense that Frank's brother, when he's like, whatever I got, I, you know, I got it straight, right. Now, he thinks he's talking about just a job. Like, he's just talking about this easy job that he's trying to get him where he could get paid and not have to do anything. But what he will, you know, later find out is that they were having a conversation that was much bigger than even he thought it was. Yeah. And so that's why, like, sort of him, their whole, um, you know, their whole disagreement and the root of Frank's brother being, just trying to tell him, like, unless you do it honestly, it it really is destructive. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to, that's a, for, that's a big forewarning for Frank right there. And so it's kind of like, that's, i you know, as I thought about, it, I was like, oh, you know what, actually that whole scene, because of how some things unfold later, it could definitely be considered a file this away uh, for later moment. Um, speaking of other moments, um, there are some things that age the best. Definitely McNulty being self-destructive ages quite well. Absolutely. <laughs> yep. Yeah, anything else you noticed?
3: Um. So, obviously, prostitution.
2: No, never goes out of style.
3: Never goes out of style. we talked about that, human trafficking, but this time, we're getting down to the basics of it, the real prostitution. Like, that scene... <laughs> so, and this is not funny. I don't mean to laugh at this. I gotta, make, I gotta do serious voice, because it's not funny. But I remember watching this show, and I think it was on Dateline or something like that, and the cops had set up this thing. Where they were catching all of these Johns. And they were catching all of these Johns with 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 uh with uh with that with they, these guys were soliciting prostitution. It wasn't like to catch a predator or anything like that. I gotta be honest with you. It's not funny when like lives are destroyed and when you're doing stuff to endanger your family. But the pure moment where And this goes also for To Catch a Predator, which is not funny. This is not... This stuff is not funny, guys. I don't want you to think... The subject
2: matter is not funny. The subject
3: matter is definitely not funny. But the pure moment where they realize that they've been talking to an undercover cop, it just couldn't be funnier, if we're being honest. It
2: it, it is quite hilarious. Like,
3: I don't... Human trafficking, not funny. Especially To Catch a Predator. I'm not even going to talk about it. Not funny. But... The moment where I'm watching this thing on day on on MSNBC or Dateline, I think it was pretty, I actually think it was MSNBC, where this guy, <laughs> this woman goes, "Yeah, I'm with the Dade County Vice Squad." The look on this guy's eyes, that's funny. And so, I mean, I, I, I fuck it, dog. That shit is funny to me, son. And when they got that guy, when they got that guy, and he was pulling out of that thing, and they and they rolled up on him. I burst into laughter because it made me think of the shit that I had watched. I'm thinking, damn. But I also felt relieved for him because these other guys, they don't get away with it. They got to go back to their wives and stuff like that and ask them why they were on the side of US1 trying to get a handy J. It's weird. But that aged well because that same scene, I saw this thing like two years ago and it was exactly the same scene. like. From the wire. Also, something else that, lay, that age well lying to your boss, which is what and Carver are doing with the whole Fuzzy Dunlop CI thing. A
1: fuzzy Dunlop. This new generation with the names 150, Jesus. He turned us on to the Sabaka kid, Lieutenant.
3: Everyone that can hear my voice right now has lied to their boss. Every one of you. You've been sick. You've had, I don't know how many grandparents some of y'all have, like, they keep getting sick and and falling off. You have places to go. In some
2: cases, keep dying, because I definitely know a couple of people who have done that. Keep
3: dying, all of that stuff. So everyone has lied to their boss, played your boss a little bit to get what you wanted. So those two things are stuff that age well.
2: Yeah, it's funny because you brought that up. Uh, So as, as you know, you know, during this pandemic, there's been a lot of, there's been a rise in... Games being shown, you know, classic games or whatever, NBA yeah. TV showing a classic game. I feel like the statue of limitations has passed on this. I'm about to admit something, man, that I've never admitted before.
3: Whoa. <laughs> Jim, a confession. Right, Jim, right here, insert a drum roll. Right, <laughs> right here, Jim Cunningham and Jonathan Kerma are two great producers. Right here, insert a drum roll.
2: I'm going to admit something. It's it, along that I have not admitted to anybody, and it goes along with lying to your boss. So the other day on NBA TV, they played uh Lakers versus Pistons, 04 finals, game two. Lakers won it. Um, and as I like to remind Laker fans, y'all lucky y'all didn't get slept, swept. We gave y'all the gentleman sweep. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you should have been swept. So game I actually had scheduled my vacation during the Pistons finals. I was uh a backup. Uh, beat writer if you will um, on the NBA during the playoffs because the Pistons were so good so they needed extra writers I was working in Detroit at the time at the Detroit Free Press so I knew the Pistons were good but like I honestly didn't expect them to make it to the finals so I scheduled a vacation to Cancun went to Cancun, had a lovely time got back uh, and I had covered the Pistons up until the finals got back the day before the clinching game and um, my grandmother was in the hospital at that time. Oh, my God. It, was, uh, it wasn't super serious. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was mildly serious. I mean, anytime you are of a certain age, you're going to hospitals. It's always going to be a little bit mildly. It's always going to be a little bit serious. So she was in the hospital. Uh, I think I went to see her. The next day, you know, game clincher. We can win this thing right now, right? And last time Pistons won, uh, I was, you know, 13, 14 years old. So I was assigned to work the game you know, and go and report and write some fabulous story that I'm sure everybody would have forgotten five minutes after it was published. So I had a choice, Van. I could go to the game, write the story, or, or I could be hanging out with my friends who are all going to be drinking and celebrating as we clinched a world championship against the Lakers. So grandma just got a little sicker. Whoa! <laughs> grandma got a little sicker. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Yo, grandma! Mm. Grandma was, you know, suddenly made a turn <laughs> that uh, you know. See, conveniently and, <laughs> happened and, and right that's before. That's
3: from one of the <laughs> most upstanding people in all of media right now.
2: I did it, y'all. I did what it. One of the I most
3: upstanding. Let me ask you a question: Was it worth it?
2: Yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, it was because mm. look, I, I, uh, the if the Pistons were my main beat, mm-hmm. I would definitely have never done that. Yeah. But they were not my main beat. This was, I just wanted to, you know, get a better sense of covering the NBA, develop more sources, all that kind of stuff. So when the Pistons started running through the Eastern Conference, when they, you know, went to like six straight Conference Finals, I was doing a lot of the the reporting as as a, as support. You know, the, they had the main beat writer. And I was backing up the main beat writer and part of a team of reporters assigned to the Pistons. So you know, it wasn't like yeah, I get nobody it. else could do I get what I did. You know, it's Jamel like I wanted to experience this. Hurt,
3: and Carver, the three of y'all, peas in the pot.
2: Um, I fuzzy Dunlop it, man. I fuzzy Dunlop it. Fuzzy, what can I say? Du-
3: you fuzzy du- thats that's the new name. Anytime you lie to your boss, when you lie to
2: your boss. I you fuzzy, you fuzzy it.
3: Dunlop it. So you, when you guys yeah. are followers, you know what? This is what I want you guys to do. On Twitter, <laughs> when you hear this episode, I want the best story of you mm-hmm. fuzzy dunlap your boss. I want the best story of you lying to your boss what you got, what the lie was, when it happened, and the best story, we are going to read it on Way yes. Down in the Hole and attribute to you yes. the best story of you fuzzy dunlap your boss.
2: I want to hear from y'all. <laughs> I mean I, I, that wasn't the only time I Fuzzy Dunlap bu- it was just Fuzzy Dunlap my boss it was just the most egregious the most egregious one yeah, I get and by it. far the most egregious mm-hmm. I've never begged out of oh no I did beg out of another assignment that was to see Prince I'll tell that story another day cool. so yep. I feel like that was worth it right. <laughs> Okay, mm-hmm. definitely worth it um, so anyway uh, we move on from Fuzzy dunlapping. Um, but in terms of what age is the best the other thing I would say age quite well and this is just as an observer to uh, the male species. Um, men being unable to have meaningful emotional conversations with each other about real shit is timeless. And so when McNulty and Bunk, when they're by the rail, their favorite drinking spot, which is the railroad tracks, and Jimmy McNulty is damn near like, he's fighting back these tears because I have a feeling he, don't, he doesn't want to, A, feel even more humiliated crying over a job. B, crying in front of his boy about the job. And meanwhile, Buck is just taking a piss. and. They got every
1: swinging dick with a shield on that detail but me. Jealous, bitch.
2: Damn, man. Is that how y'all do? He's <laughs> revealing something like personal, emotional. Like, you're jealous, bitch. I was like, oh, God. Mm. Is, is that what your species does? Is that is that how it is, man? I, you tell me. I have to be honest with you.
3: Yes and no I think that we've gotten A lot better in that I think that like You know while I'm going through stuff There's so many Of my brothers That I can call And talk to them However There are people That's a generational thing I think my generation Is much better about that Like uh, I still Like my dad Really loves me Like really loves me But like And if there's something Wrong with me physically But see if I'm just like Going through it mentally He don't understand that Like, it's it's so crazy. Not only does he not understand. When I say he doesn't understand, I mean, I'm not saying he doesn't understand it emotionally. Like, he doesn't grasp it at all, how it could be a thing. Like, son, uh, (laughs) it's like, son, how you you doing, boy? I don't know, dad. I'm feeling really, really depressed today. He doesn't ask, why are you depressed? He says, what you mean Depressed. Like, literally, what does depressed mean? Like a... Like, like, oh, yeah, oh like, God. like, like, what, like, what you mean depressed? Depressed how? Depressed how? I mean, I just, I feel like I don't want to uh, get up and go do anything. I just want to lay in the bed all day. I don't want to really talk to nobody. I don't want to eat. I don't want to do anything. Let me tell you something, boy. If you don't eat, you're going to die. If you don't, like, if you don't, uh, try not eating. Go ahead. See, see how that's gonna work out for you. Five days, don't eat nothing. You know, it's like you're gonna you go, you gonna look crazy. You're gonna look like your uncle or somebody like that. Get your ass up and go eat and see. He gonna call back an hour. Boy, did you eat? So, like with him, maybe not so much. But it, the homies, yeah, I can pretty much call them. And you know, it's a different group now. We have these meaningful, but of the bunk McNulty sort of era. That nah, they don't know. like it's just not. Well, I- it's not a thing. It's not a thing. Not really. You know.
2: Well, sometimes uh I overhear the conversation my husband is having with his friends and I'm so amazed because they will go from like, Hey bitch, why you got them raggedy ass shoes on? Like just killing each other. Mm-hmm. And then it'll be like, Yeah, man, you know, so uh sometimes, you know, you just gotta be vulnerable, you know. I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like Yeah. It just it is so it's so perplexing to me. And I'm just like that, you guys on one end can talk to each other just so rudely. And then on the other hand, it's like yeah man, you know, sometimes you know, you just got to show your lady how you care. Yeah. I I don't I don't understand you yep. at all. <laughs> not, not at all. Yeah, it's a, but I I I felt like uh th- those th- sometimes that uh, coarse communication between men and emotional moments, I, I felt like that probably aged quite well. Right. Now in terms of what aged the worst? Our boy Horseface, right? He's in uh office, he's in the union office. Got the and same he's really thing. In a, You got the same thing? The fake
3: tits? No, no. I I got something. Oh, we got different things. Go ahead. Tell me.
2: Okay. So mine is, Horseface is sitting there agonizing over whether or not fake tits are real ones. I'm using his language, just so you know. Are real ones. He's like, eh, I don't know which one is better. I can't decide. Thus far, I'm undecided on fake tits. And I feel like that didn't age well because that argument has kind of been settled. Isn't the answer, y'all don't care? Have, have I missed that? Hmm. Interesting. Because I think that, there used to be a decided, definite, um, you know, feeling about this. Like, there was a lot of men that were like, nah, no, this is, nobody likes, you know, there's, there used to be a lot of hand wringing, hmm. it feels like, over, the, over implants and that kind of thing. And now they're so common that it's kind of like, you know, I feel like every, like one out of every four or five women actually has uh implants. Well, so I feel like that argument did not hold up. Well, There's no more consternation or dilemma about them.
3: Well, two things change. Number one, the technologies in fake breastuses have really, <laughs> they, they've they gone, it, it's really been something to see. It's like it, the, the technologies that they are used now over the muscle, below the muscle, going in through your underarm, no scar. Uh, saline, silicone, mixed back all of that stuff. Sometimes you can't tell. That's the first thing. Number two is that the conversation has shifted from fake breasts to fake butts. That's been a huge thing. So the, that is true. the conversation has shifted from whether or not you need a fake bre- uh, fake breasts are okay to whether or not fake butts are okay. I think right now, fake breasts are at the back of the bus. You know what I mean? Like, they don't know where anyone really cares. And because here's the thing, in my opinion, fake breasts are fine. You know what I mean? Like, they're like decoration. Like, make you look nice in a dress. But to me, a fake butt is a lie. That's the difference. Like, fake breasts, cool. Like, whatever you want to look good, you want to you wanna fill out your shirts a little bit more, look nice in a turtleneck, that's fine. Fake butt, that's a lie. We don't have to get into why it's much more important, but that, like, th- that's a lie. So I think the conversation has shifted. My didn't age well was the magazine itself. Oh, ooh. ooh. Yeah. Nobody consumes their nude pictures in magazine form anymore. Yeah, anymore. That's true. As a matter of fact, Apple
2: Forum's gone. That's out. Yeah.
3: If you're still doing that, you're a freakazoid. Because I'm not gonna get into it, but like but 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 no one really looks at the mag the magazines themselves, you still see them a little bit, but it's all online now. So that the magazine itself didn't age very well.
2: Yeah, it hasn't been print publications in general. Have unfortunately um, not aged well, but in particular that. Yeah, I mean, for that matter, I mean, video, like you know VCR and tapes and all that kind of stuff didn't age well age either. Well. Yeah, Pur- purely an internet movement. Okay, little trivia for you, Ooh. and then we will Let's get to your Uts review. Yes, before we close out with who won the episode, mm-hmm. you jumped up. Like, do you have some trivia, Van? I do
3: not have trivia.
2: Okay, you jumped up for another one. But I
3: love, the word trivia gets me going.
2: Yes, okay. So, the trivia that I'm about to say actually became trivia for another movie as well, which it was a fact on earth that I had no idea. So, I was reading about how Method Man got the part of cheese, which we all hate cheese. Cheese is the worst. Mm -hmm. Um, But... He initially they asked him to to uh, audition for season one of The Wire, right? And at the very beginning, they when they were casting for The Wire, he was the first name, uh, one of the first names that emerged. But he said no because he was doing Brown Sugar, and I was like, that the man wasn't in Brown Sugar, mm. <laughs> the movie with Tay Diggs and yes, yeah, friend of mine, Tay
3: Diggs, Most Deaf, all of
2: those, yeah right so i'm like this can't be right and then i looked and what happened was he was in the movie but they cut his scenes he's only in the dvd extras
3: oh (laughs) it's method man
2: so method man was in yes and you go to imdb for brown sugar and he's listed as a member as a cast member but you never saw him i i didn't have the uh I didn't have the um, the the DVD of uh, of Brown Sugar, so I had no idea or no never way of knowing minute. that he who's he playing. Never saw uh, it. I
3: I've, I've seen the movie, was, but... but I've never I've seen the movie several times. So I've never seen him in it though.
2: Yes, he's only in the in the DVD extra ones. That's it. Right. He's not. He didn't make. He didn't make the one that was in theater. So the other thing that he as he's talking about how he came on with the wire is that apparently. He said WeeBay was in Brown Sugar. I was like, WeeBay was in Brown Sugar? Mm, I'd have to watch I, like, again. No. And so, I again, mm-hmm. on my due diligence as a journalist, I go look and say, where the hell was WeeBay on it? Because WeeBay was... I don't think WeeBay ever made the movie at all because he left during filming because he was upset with how he was being used. Oh, wow. So WeeBay okay. and Method Man were on, both on set for Brown Sugar. And Meth decided to stay, and and you know ride it out because he felt like that was a more sure thing than what was happening with the Wire. He winds up getting cut. He sees season one of the Wire, and he's like, "This stuff is brilliant." And so he then begins a campaign to get on the Wire because he had blown it the first time. Mm, it's incredible. That is. I was incredible. like, "What?" Yeah. It leads to two bits of tri- uh, uh, trivia about uh, two different you know projects: mm-hmm. Brown Sugar, and now, um, of course uh the wire. So, the magic moment is here, Van. Give us your review. Give us your review of the Crab Uts chips. Ooh. Uh
3: So I I ordered from Amazon uh, a three pack of the Crab Uts chips, um, family size bag. I showed these bags to Jamel. I, I ate, he did I texted her I'm like look what I'm eating You don't have none nanani boo boo Is exactly how uh, He did this was He did So uh, We drove out to the Drive-in movie theater Um, Me and Kalika We drove out there And we uh, I brought a bag of the Uts chips As a snack Um, I smashed the whole bag It's a family size bag yeah, yes. I, like, I smashed the entire bag of chips. Um, I smashed the entire bag, uh, and I ate half the bag while in a in a peak fat moment. Um, I smashed half the bag while we were waiting in line in the drive-through and ra- raising canes. Peak fat, like
2: uh, man, I'm so pr- I'm so proud of you right now. Peak I'm fat so moment. proud of you.
3: We, you get the raisin canes to eat in. The drive in movie theater, right? And but I was hungry and I had the chips. The chips I actually was trying to save to eat those because you eat the canes and then if you still want more, like a snack, you eat that. But it didn't matter, I ate half the chips. Um, this is my only thing the chips are fantastic, little salty. What who cares? A l- little salty, <laughs> little. Cares. a little salty and because we had little the uh, salty because we had the uh the the big bag and because they shipped with Amazon uh a lot of the chips got all broken up so you're not really eating mm. chips you're eating like little and after a while that can be like a little salty as well a little salty
2: but why why do that though why not just pour the bag just pour it straight in your mouth
3: yeah I mean I do that i did I did that as well okay but now. but I, this is what I'll say. This is the only review that Uts needs to care about. I ordered three family size bags, family size bags, that arrived on a Thursday night. I started eating on a Friday. By Monday, they were all gone, all three bags, family size.
2: I'm proud of you, man. Family I'm size. I'm so proud of you.
3: So there you go. Uts crab chicks and b- off the chain for the win. For
2: the win. I knew it. I told you. I'm a chipologist. I told you. like I wouldn't lead you wrong in this area. Now, I don't know what your general chip taste buds are like. You like the crab, so that's a a really good start. To me, the only Utz Utz chip that can, maybe rival isn't the right word, but I get equal enjoyment, although for different reasons out of eating, is the Utz Red Hot Chips. Mm. Fire. Fire, dog. They fire. You love them. I love them. I'm a big, I'm a, I'm a red hot chip kind of person. You like, that, you know, just in general. Yeah. I like hot chips. Mm. And so those us red hot chips. Official. Yeah. Not quite crab, not quite the crab ones, but official nonetheless. So amazing. Ah, I'll that was not. worth it. That yeah. was worth it. Fantastic. I, I, I I dig I'm, I'm,
3: I'm, I'm on. I'm trying to lean it out a little bit now. Got to get a little lean. So I might be off the chips for a while, but when I come back, uh, I want to do, because it turns out that Uts owns both Zaps and Uts. Uts, I didn't know Uts owns Zaps. They they tell me, I want to do a Zap Uts taste off. Ooh! I want to do a, a a taste off. Want to get some of the Wire fans and maybe from this area, you know, mm. and do a Zaps Uts taste off. Um, but yeah, Uts Uts crab chips, legit,
2: fantastic taste. Legit. Yeah, yeah, oh, they're so good. Well, next time you go on a a bender, a chip bender like a la McNulty. Yep. Uh, yep. Well, we'll be counting on on that breakdown as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Finally, the other moment of truth. Who won this episode, man?
3: I thought about this a lot. And I'm not sure if I've given him one already this season. But to me, this is no doubt a Ziggy episode. I think a lot of the moments in this season that really arrested me, uh, it was Ziggy. Um, it. it it just seems like this a, a lot of this episode was sort of procedural. But the character that most... I mean, and it would be easy to make this a McNulty episode just because this is the episode almost where we get McNulty back. Um, But interestingly enough, even though McNulty is so heavily featured here, it's almost the quintessential McNulty episode because it's all about him and it doesn't have that much to do with everything else that's going on. Whereas the scenes that Ziggy's in um, are starting to widen fault lines and push the story a little bit. So without being overly verbose about it, which everyone's going, bam, (laughs) since when don't you like being overly verbose? I'm going to say that (laughs) Ziggy actually won this episode. Uh,
2: You know, I do have a Sabatka winning this episode. It's just not Ziggy, it's Frank. Mm. And the reason I chose Frank is, uh, I said this earlier in the podcast, it's because Frank, I think for so long had just been kind of seen as, you know, the muscle, the, the the in a extensive wheel, but nobody with any real power or smarts or like other than being the vessel in which a lot of these items got into Baltimore, a lot of, you know, the women, the drugs and other things like, what was he really contributing to the operation other than being transportation? Mm. And with this, because he puts together a, a key piece For um, the organization where he puts together some shit that they miss. So as smart as the Greek is, as smart as Bondas is, as smart as, you know, everybody thinks they are. The person who puts it together is Frank, Mm. where he's like him seeing Kima. And he puts it together very. It's not easy what he did. Right. No, for uh, sure. Because he starts to see it. He could have very easily blown off being, quote, flagged and just say, oh, maybe it's just some glitch. But he he puts it together between uh, seeing Kima being flagged, the cop all of a sudden pulling over the container like he is able to say, you got a problem on your hand. And it's actually a pretty good collectively a good file this away for later moment. But I felt like he proved his real value beyond just being this kind of uninterested Yet often self-righteous observer of everything that was happening. Wow. Yeah.
3: Compelling yeah. case. But it's a Sabaka, a Sabaka family sweep in episode eight, Duck and Cover.
2: Oh well, man, uh, as much as I would love to give credit to the Sabakas, you're the real winner of this episode because you got to destroy three family size bags. Family size. Of of crab utzes. And I've never felt more jealous and more envious. Of another human being than I do with you of this moment, well, and I mean you—you you have done it, my friend.
3: Well, well, the reality is this: I do what I say I'm going to do, and when I say I'm going to, I'm going to taste the crap up, up the chips. As a matter of fact, to be honest with you, I wish I could pull it up to you right now. I was on Amazon this morning looking at getting a 60 pack of the smaller bags, but then you know what I said? Why do that? I was like, I'll just save them for the weekend. No, I can't do that. I got to do what I'm doing and stick to it. And so, uh, you know, I don't need lot, I just need to shave off maybe like 15. And 60 pack of of, of of crab Uts chips ain't gonna do it. So I'm not doing it. But they were they were great. And Uts, I gotta be honest with you. If you hear this and you decide you want to send over some to me, Jamil, we'll make use of them.
2: Yes. Oh absolutely. Right. I, I'm here for free, for free product. Right. Okay, I am definitely here for free product. Uh all right. Well, that's a wrap. Uh for us, man. You are the hero that we need and deserve Oh, for that <laughs> the hero that we need and deserve um, but that's gonna do it for us thanks everybody for watching The Wire along with us so keep listening to us and keep watching The Wire we'll see you next time it's Vodka's office he's in the union office got the same really thing
3: a... you got the same thing the Tell fake tits no no I, oh, I got something oh